Hi, in today's episode, we have Sonal Dave. Sonal is an award-winning luxury wedding toastmaster, ceremony celebrant, public speaking expert, and a published author. Ooh, <laughs> that's a lot. So now, Sonal, you have to tell me a little bit about your journey from nursery rhymes to public speaking. I know that's going to be a long journey, but it'd be lovely to hear from you because I remember you having said some very interesting stuff about moving from different countries to be where you are today. And uh, I would also like to know a little bit about: Do you think that there's a prejudice against women's voices in the broadcast industry? So we should cover that also, Nil. So let's start with the journey. Thank you so much, and it's an absolute pleasure to be here today. So I was actually born in Uganda. Um, some people listening um, in the future may uh, remember the days of Idi Amin. So I don't remember much of it because I was born there, um, and when I came to the UK, I was a babe in my mum's arms. But my mum did tell me stories of how they had a wonderful life in Uganda, and then suddenly Idi Amin decided that he didn't want Indians to be in the country anymore. So they had to pack up their bags, leave everything behind, businesses, houses. Literally, just whatever they could carry in their hands was what they were allowed to take on the planes. And I remember a story of my mom telling me about um, they had to like hide their jewelry, you know, hide anything precious, so that at the airport the um, officials and the military would not take that away from them. And literally having to smuggle like the Mangal Sutra and your rings and things to get into get on the plane to be able to come to what. Where it's for them at the time, their safe haven, the UK. So I came to the UK I as a child, guess. and um, unfortunately, as a young baby, um, I was diagnosed with uh, congenital hip dysplasia of the left hip. So not only did my parents have to go through the trauma of Idi Amin and having to leave Uganda, they had to leave um, two sisters, or was it three? It was definitely two at the time in India with my grandparents and they came to the UK with me, baby in arms and immediately, you know, taken to hospital for various treatments to look after me, um, which has absolutely helped me to be who I am today. So in terms of nursery, one of the things I remember my parents always telling me was that in nursery, I was always the one would go, look at me, dinner. I'm going to sing you a song, dinner. And so from a very young age, my parents knew that I was going to be an extrovert. So my roots are to Gujarat, yes, in okay. Amdawad. Right. So we, my grandmother still lives there. My mum's brother is there. So most of my mum's family is still in Gujarat. We have um, a few family members in Mumbai. And then we have family members dotted around the globe. So there's USA, there's Canada, I think there's Europe as well, so uh, Kenya, so in a few different places as well. So I like to think of us as a global roots family. All right. Okay. And did your sisters come in and join you later in UK? Um so I was saying about my uh, nursery and so yeah, even even though I was kind of born with this adversity, um I didn't let it stop me being um one of these people that wants to still go out there and do things. But I, I remember an occasion when I was slightly older and my friends were going ice skating and uh, my mom and dad would not let me go. And I couldn't understand why are you not letting me go? Everyone's going ice skating. And my mom said to me in her own words, Sona, we have to protect you. 
And I remember saying to my mom, mom, protect me from what? What will we will be? You know, just because I have this disability, as they like to call it, um, it doesn't mean I can't do things. And I remember that conversation really well because two things. One, it makes me think of how that generation were brought up in terms of people with disabilities and what they could and couldn't do. But it also makes me think about my generation and how we have kind of almost grown through the struggles of our parents to be able to do what we want to today, regardless of disability or adversity. Does that make sense? Yes, it makes sense because, but in India, we still, uh, you know, we are quite far away from having public spaces that is uh, very, very conducive, you know, for, of course, there are ramps and there are stuff like this. So disability as a subject is, um, you know, is a subject that um, India is a developing country and we're doing phenomenally well, you know, as in, as a, as a country. But I would assume that when you have, lived all your life, you know, in UK, um, you are far more uh, in, an, in an environment where disability probably is a lot more embraced than what it is in India. So for our listeners here in India, it would be wonderful to know, you know, as to how you grew up knowing that, you know, you're not different from the rest in spite of having, uh, you know, a disability, as you call it, from the time of birth. So did you go through, because you were among Indian parents and, you know, you were with, with Indian relatives, I would assume. Did you feel that anybody said anything to you ever? So nobody, it's actually quite interesting because in the second collaboration book, um, it starts with me. I talk about, my whole chapter is about disability. And and I remember um, growing up and often extended family would be, don't tell anyone, you know, um, it, it, just keep it quiet. And I would be asking my parents, why do they want me to keep it quiet? What's wrong? And, um, you know, my mom would tell me that, you know, for some people, even in the UK, having a disability and being in an Asian family is still a very taboo subject to talk about. You know, even in the UK, they would, you know, get the arti out and do the arti and, you know, tell, do lots of prayers and tell you to fast for a few days and then your disability will disappear. And I'd be saying, Mom, what is wrong with these people? That's nonsense. If you're born with a disability, it doesn't mean... You know, you do these things and it and it goes away. You know, it it is who I am now. You know, it is part of who I am. It doesn't mean I can't become who, who I, you know, I can't achieve my ambitions, my wishes, my dreams. And I used to be quite open with my mom and my mom was open with me. But even in the UK, yes, we have the ramps and we have the discrimination agenda and we have the disability agenda. There are still corners of the Asian community that still will try and keep it hush hush. You know, if your child has autism or your child has ADHD or your child has a physical disability, um, I, I suppose, in a way, because I'd learned to live with my disability from a young age, um, what it meant was I had learned to hide it. So actually, a lot of people didn't even know I had a disability till much later in life when I started talking about it because I saw the discrimination and because I felt quite strongly about the discrimination. Now, when we go to India and before the pandemic, my, my husband and I used to come to India every single year. 
We would go to Gujarat, Ahmedabad to see my family. We would go to Mumbai to catch up with our friends and our music associates. And then we would travel somewhere. And I always remember we used to talk about this. I don't understand why in India, such a huge country, such a rich country, rich in culture, rich in education, rich in money, just does not um, do enough for whether it's people with disability, whether it's people that live in rural areas for education. I just don't understand. And, you know, maybe I need to do some deep digging to find out why. But, you know, every child has a right to education. Every child has a right to health, you know, good health, hygiene, food. And these are some real fundamental things in life. So sometimes when I... I'm so sorry. But I get just really for India, you know, yeah, I know. And, uh, but just to, you know, uh, not not to defend um, India because I feel very strongly about being an Indian. I think, you know, we are really in the throes of development also. And as a developing nation, there would be in every part of the world, there would be a pocket that would not have education, sanitation, the healthcare. And, I, you know, and I, I'm very, like I always say in all my podcasts, and I'm an eternal optimist. And I know that education is the answer, you know, for any... Uh, nation to progress and yes it is not there but I do think that today's youth there is a huge change and people are opting to do a lot of stuff um, you know in they are not pursuing these big glitzy jobs in really big cities and big city people are actually getting more conscious and doing professions that are different you know going into villages and teaching people so like any economy that's uh, it's it's developing i'm sure these the things would be a part and parcel of um, any economy and it's really sad like you say but i'm sure that over time you know all these things would be bridged but i'd just like to ask you a question sonal so do you think because of this disability and you know somewhere where your relatives were doing the aarti or telling you to do things that your voice started getting sharper and that's when you really took up to public speaking was there any association between the two so my public speaking i think first of all it started when i was very uh, probably my teenage years um i had an an awesome music teacher who uh realized that I had a very good singing voice and uh, and my spoken word as well uh, came across very clean and clarity and I was able to give the message that people wanted to hear. So I was selected to be part of the English National Opera, which in the UK is huge. And even the venue, the ENO, is um, absolutely massive. So from quite a young age, um, and I think probably even going back to childhood with being a bit of an extrovert, my my voice was kind of my channel for messaging. And with I think with I think with the disability, you do find that you find certain areas of your life that you want to focus on. And for me, very much the public speaking came from having the performance skills understanding what body language meant, what voice control meant, how different it can be if you can use those abilities to actually get across a message and not only get across the message, to make sure that people understand what it is that message is. Because sometimes in the confusion and lots of noise, the message can be misinterpreted, misheard and not understood. So for me, the public speaking, I think, was kind of slowly 
emerging from me from when I was a teenager. And then when I became a Toastmaster and I did my training as a Toastmaster, it's a funny story, actually. I was um, at a wedding and uh, I saw an English Toastmaster at a Hindu wedding saying um, in a very Western voice, you know, ladies and gentlemen, it's now time for the Akender Sopagivati. And I remember looking, thinking, he means Akanda Sobhagyavati, right? And we we <laughs> laughed a little, but then I thought, hold on, I, c- I can do this. I went and got trained. I got my uniform made for me. And I was at a wedding and, an, and a parent, a lady, lovely lady came up to me and said, do you teach this? I said, no, I don't actually, but um, maybe I'll think about it. Give me your details. And it was that that was like the the trigger to make me think, if somebody has come to a wedding wants me to teach her and her children these skills, then there must be more people out there as well. So when I started sending out the message that I was actually starting to teach these skills, um, loads of people, you know, whether loads of people from, I mean, like five years upwards, children, children who were five years old up to, you know, the full grown adults, um, adults in the professional world, parents. It was it was quite interesting how the range of people who wanted to learn these skills, whether it was grandparents wanting to be able to tell their children, this is what I want to happen when I die. You know, conversations like that that are not really spoken about in the families or children being able to say to their parents, I know you want me to be a doctor, but actually I want to be a creative writer. So, Mm. you know, it's quite exciting to be able to share these skills so that people can actually say what they want to say, say what they're hearing, say what they're feeling. And then a knock-on effect of this, which was so exciting, was that people were saying to me that, by being able to say what I wanted to say and people understanding what I was saying to them, I feel so much better. So there was almost an impact on their mental health. So where they were sitting there going, oh my God, oh my God, how am I going to tell them? Are they going to understand? Are they going to listen? This is really making me feel down. It was turning that kind of downward smile into an upward smile. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. So I just wanted to, did you ever consider counseling? Because when a person can speak, obviously he or she knows, understands body language, you know, and what is it, the, uh, did you ever consider getting into psychology as a subject and taking that up? So if I'm going to be really honest, I did think about it. And then I recall saying to myself, Sonal, you're somebody that likes the practical side of life as opposed to the theoretical side. So I have some um, amazing uh, people that I can refer my clients to if I feel that actually it's it's more than my knowledge is worth, then I will um, pass it on to one of my clients. So I'm an English and drama student. So that's where my, I think my command of English, my language, my narrative, and then the drama side is my, you know, my performance, my confidence, I suppose, and having those what I call life skills. So I'm a big believer in that, um, and what I'm about to say you sometimes gets me in trouble, but I will still say it. You know, I'm a big believer and yes, it's great to have qualifications and it's lovely to have, you know, A stars and 
you know, be able to go out there and say, look, I've got a piece of paper and look what it says on this piece of paper. But if you have life skills, so communicating, confidence, time management, organizational skills, financial management, these kind of life skills that, you know, help you through life, not just here and now, but through your whole life, that those are going to help you succeed in whatever you choose to do. I completely agree with you on this, Sonal, because you know what, I think theater is one of the greatest things that, you know, in schools they have as a subject. And I think every child should probably not should, but they must be encouraged to go go and join that because what it does to them is that, you know, it makes you lose your fear of stage to be able to stand up between a crowd and talk. You know, of course, everybody's not inclined to do theater, but if that can become like a part of your of the formative years, it really helps in the in the, uh, you know, in the long run. And I would actually uh, also somewhere think that, you know, my ability to be able to talk or be confident and, you know, because I used to be in a marketing job and I was, uh, you know, doing presentations to bring in business. And I think my theater uh, work, you know, of, of what I did in school and college is what really stood its uh, test of time over with me. And those those things were the life hacks that kind of helped me you know, the spotlight is on you and you just got to win and come out of it. So I so agree with you when you say that life skills are extremely important. I mean, you can be really good with your grades, but if you do not know how to speak to be able to go out there and make a point and make an impact, you may sometimes uh, lose out on an opportunity, you know. Um, but Sonal, just tell me, um, did, do you feel that as a woman, you know, especially in the voice um, space, do you think there is a prejudice against women? Because sometimes people say that women and their voices, you know, it needs um. To be quite honest, right at the beginning, I never thought I could be a Toastmaster because everywhere I looked and I did a lot of research on becoming a Toastmaster, every picture was either a white English man and I saw a few white English ladies. So I had actually thought that it was not something that I, as an Asian woman, could do or would be allowed to do. I thought maybe there's a something in their rule book, in their handbook, that doesn't allow me to. But being me, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to ring them up and see what they say. So I messaged out, I emailed out actually first to a few different organizations in the UK. and. Um, one of them came back to me and we had a chat and uh, they said, no, there's no reason why you can't be. It's just nobody has really applied before. So I was like, that's very interesting. Um, so you have in the, I think, I don't know if it's the same in India, but in the UK, we have what we call two types of Toastmasters. So there's Toastmasters, the organization where you learn public speaking and you learn about communication and confidence skills and you prepare for the outside world. So whether that's managing teams, leading conferences, speaking events. And then there's Toastmasters as an organization where you actually go to events. So I will go to weddings, um, civic events where there's um, the chance <coughs> the chancellor has been in the background. Um, there, uh, I will go to charity events, auction events. Uh, I can be at actually any life event as a way I describe, describe it as from kind of from birth to celebration of life. If you want to f- 
an air of gravitas, if you want um, somebody to just make sure people are listening, looking after the crowd, looking after clients, couples, that's where a Toastmaster can be. So I predominantly do much more of that. What are the qualities, uh, Sona, that a person would need uh, to have if he or she wants to pursue toast a career in becoming a Toastmaster? That would be lovely for our listeners. Oh, love it. absolutely. So to become a Toastmaster, there must definitely be an air of confidence in you because you are in front of people, okay. you are talking to people, you are almost telling people what to do. So for example, you might say, ladies and gentlemen, please could you switch off your phones for the duration of the wedding ceremony? I know that you'd love to take lots of pictures, but the couple would like you to watch the wedding through your own eyes, not the eyes of a lens. So when you're saying that to people who are used to having a mobile phone in their hand the whole time, you know, it needs to be done in a in a kind of a rule book way, but in a diplomatic, nice way. Um, so there's that air of confidence. The, the clarity of your communication needs to be clear as well. With the Toastmasters at events, you're in a uniform. So the uniform tends to give you an air of gravitas anyway. But if you can also do that through your body language, through your voice and the language that you use as well, then you will find that it's a career that's for you. A lot of people do ask, you know, so Sono, is it, is it, uh, is it something that you can make a career out of? And I always say to them, absolutely. You know, in the UK currently, in terms of um, associations that do events, there are only two Asian females. So you can imagine there are only two Asian female Toastmasters and celebrants in the UK at the moment. So both of us um, are busy. Wow. And, yeah. So we made a career out of it. Wonderful. Because to me, this is the peg for my, you know, the entire episode because I have so many women all across who are listening. And, uh, you know, they, this is so amazing because there are just two women in UK and one of them is Sonal Dave, who's in today's podcast with me. And I mean, this is such an honor, Sonal, to have you and to just hear about your journey, you know, from having you know, moved from countries, your mother is a little baby and then to go through the disability in life and then to go ahead and become the celebrity uh, Toastmaster that you are and also having written a book and published a book. I mean, that's a feat, Sonal. So, Sonal, thank you so very much. If people were to get in touch with you, how do they need to get in touch? But before I end, I would have to say that there's been lots of prejudice about women's voices. So, which is, uh, you know, uh, Anne Karf is a sociologist and the author of The Human Voice, the story of a remarkable talent. So, according to her in the world of broadcasting, for example, there have been a vast variety of reasons put forward over time to exclude women from the airways. These range from Daily Express saying in 1928 that listeners felt women's voices were monotonous to the Sunday Dispatch that said in 1945 that women were too emotive in their delivery from too little personality in their voices to not enough, women can't win. But Sonal, you prove us wrong with your immense you know, commitment to what you're doing to just say that, no, I will win and I will make a career out of you know, becoming a Toastmaster. And uh, so this is so inspirational. And thank you so much. You proved the critics wrong. And thanks on being today on today's show. Thank you. 
Thank you so much. And if anyone wants to get in touch or just wants any advice at all, please, please do. You can find me at www.sonaldave.com and across social media. If you look for sonaldave68, you'll find me across all social media platforms. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Sonal. No, thank you. And it's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, the woman's voice is very intriguing if people take the time to listen. Thank you. To you, our dearest listeners, you can find us on your favorite streaming services. Find us on Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Podcast, and of course, all other major streaming services. With loads of love, we are Moody Moavas Podcast, where Hatke is hot. <laughs>